Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Issue by Issue, a DC Comics completionist podcast. The only podcast out there going issue by issue through the annals of DC Comics history, starting from Action Comics number one and making our way into the present uh, bit by bit uh, in a an endless journey that you're all a part of, uh, along with me, your host, Nick Byers. Now, let's talk about today's episode. It's going to be another short one uh, covering Superman number five and Flash number seven, uh, Flash Comics number seven, because I am traveling. Uh, while this, when this episode comes out, I will have just gotten back. Uh, so this is a, you know, pre-record so that it's ready for you all to listen to, even if I'm not able to record it uh, closer to its actual drop date. Uh, so just a couple ones, but Superman number five has four uh, stories in it, and of course Flash Comics number seven has two and a partial because we just summarized Johnny Thunder because he's not really a superhero yet. He's just a guy who gets into mischief. But as always, let's set the scene with the real-world history, some, some tidbits from real-world history happening at the time that these comics are being released and are on newsstands. So May 10th, 1940, uh, Germany invaded France and the Low Countries at dawn. The battles of France, the Netherlands, and Belgium began. As a part of the battles, uh, the Battle of, ne- of the Netherlands, uh, the Rotterdam Blitz began, which is a uh, aerial bombing by the Luftwaffe, uh, which is the German uh, Air Force. May 12th, child star Shirley Temple, uh, well known for her roles in Heidi, Curly Top, Bright Eyes old 1930s movies uh, through her mother, Gertrude Temple, canceled her movie contract with 20th Century Fox and retired retired from film acting at age 11. She would go on to do many more things that weren't acting, uh, like being, weirdly, the U.S. ambassador to Ghana for a time. So that's weird, but also kind of cool. May 13th, Winston Churchill made his first speech to the House of Commons as Prime Minister. He famously said, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat, and also the lives of the British men uh, and women. May 14th, the Battle of Rotterdam ended in German victory. Uh, A large part of that was due to the Rotterdam Blitz, which destroyed basically the entire city center of Rotterdam. On May 15th, as a response to the Rotterdam Blitz, finishing up the previous day, the first large-scale strategic bombing of World War II targets, uh, many in most in Germany and other uh, Nazi-held areas, uh, began. This would, this would continue throughout the war and would, would be a big part of uh, Allied victory. Uh, And finally, May 16th, Roosevelt made a speech before Congress requesting an immediate appropriation of $896 million for national defense. He he said, quote, Surely the developments of the past few weeks have made it clear to all of our citizens that the possibility of attack on vital American zones ought to make it essential that we have the physical, the ready ability to meet those attacks and to prevent them from reaching their objectives. It's a little bit foreshadowing when you think about it because uh, a year and a half later, the Japanese would be bombing Pearl Harbor, uh, which is a very important uh, naval base for the United States. So uh, very, very premonition-y by uh, FDR there. Uh, So let's get into this week's first issue, Superman number 5, 
uh, released May 10th, 1940, with a cover date of summer 1940. Superman is still a quarterly title. No debuts in this four-story issue. And on the technical side, all four stories were written by Jerry Siegel with all art by Joe Schuster, Paul Cassidy, and Wayne Boring. Uh, let's get into the first story in this issue, uh, which has Superman dealing with uh, gambling, which he hates. He absolutely hates. I'm not a big fan of it either, uh, unless it can contribute to tax dollars. Then it's maybe a little bit more regulated, but it's really gotten out of control in terms of sports. You can't watch a sporting event without a, a you know a, a fan duel or bet MGM or any of these things you know blasting down my throat that I should uh, put some money down on this game. Uh, it's kind of annoying, so uh, and can be dangerous. And Superman and Lois Lane, Clark and Clark Kent, all of them, they all agree that uh, gambling is bad. So this story starts with Superman. Nope, Clark Kent. And Lois walking uh, on their way to the office at the Daily Planet when they overhear a store owner kind of talking to this group of boys who are on their way to school. He says, hey, you know, boys, why don't you step inside and play this slot machine? Which feels weird because, I mean, now there's a legal age for gambling, but... I guess at this time, there really wasn't, even though from what I've read, and I could be wrong, I'm not a historian of gambling. This is just from, you know, some research I've done before recording this. It seems like gambling was illegal for the most part in most places um, at this time in 1940s. Obviously, in 1931, Nevada legalizes it statewide, but then there's there's small localities that allow gambling, but I don't know if, if, I guess maybe this, wherever this is in this unnamed city, Metropolis later on, but not now, it's legal. And I guess it's also legal for children to gamble, which uh, is uh, bad. And I can understand why uh, Clark Kent and Lois Lane are not fans of it. So they duck their heads inside to see what happens, and these kids all lose. And Clark and Lois try to tell them, hey, you know, stop. You're never going to win. This machine is rigged to beat you, as most machines are. Like, the house always wins. Uh, that's, that's typically the, the old adage, the common knowledge of, of gambling. But uh, the, the store owner doesn't like that Clark and Lois are driving away customers to a slot machine. Uh, he must get a cut, obviously, because otherwise, why would he have it in his store? Uh, and they're, they're forced out. Lois is mad that Clark didn't beat up this store owner for asking them to leave, uh, which, I mean, he had every right to do. It's his property. We then cut back into the store where only two of the boys are left. Uh, one realizes there's only 10 minutes left before they get before the last bell at school, so he'll be late. Uh, and the other boy says, well, I'm going to skip. I'm just going to skip school today because I'm going to try to win back the money I lost. And the store owner says, hey, why are you so anxious to go sit in school like a nerd? Why don't you quit early, like me, and look at how great I'm doing. Uh, I'm, I'm a store owner, which I guess at this time is, is very cool and good. Um, hey, what a weird guy. He's like, hey, kids, why don't you waste your life gambling in my store? Or like to get uh, some kids to, to stay a little bit longer and put a few more pennies and nickels into the slot machine. He's like, hey, quit school. Wow, great, great, great ethics and business practices, my dude. 
but the one who's worried about uh, being late, he leaves. He says, I got to go. I got a perfect attendance record, and I don't want to lose that, which is like, hey, man, I lost a, uh, a perfect attendance record in elementary school by one day, and I was pissed. Uh, so he is so eager to get to school and maintain his perfect attendance record that he doesn't see a truck coming, and he just runs right into the street. Uh, we see the truck driver, and he can't stop because it's a big truck, and it takes a lot of time to get those things to stop because of weight and momentum, laws of physics. Uh, Clark knows that he risks revealing his secret identity, uh, but he sa- he can't let a little kid die, uh, so he... Jumps out and uh, kind of tackles the kid, and they get perfectly between the tires of this truck, which safely drives over them, and and the kid is is fine. And Clark says, you know, I'm not always going to be around to protect you, so you got to promise me that you're going to be careful when you cross the street, and above all, stop playing slot machines. Stop it with the slots. And the kid says, you have my word, sir. I'd better hurry or I'll be late. And so he rushes off. Hopefully he makes it to school on time, maintains his perfect attendance record, and then just excels from there in life. It's great. It's wonderful. So Clark is standing there, and Lois comes up, and the and the truck driver comes up and he says, wow, that was so amazing. Like, normally you're so afraid of your own shadow all the time. And the truck driver's like, yeah, you must have nerves of steel. And Clark's like, nerves of steel? Me? No, that's bad. Uh, so he thinks of something, he, he faints. And then, you know, Lois wakes him up, and he's like, what happened? And he's like, she says, you saved a boy's life, and then passed out. And then the truck driver makes a little joke. It's like, careful what you say. You're liable to make him faint again. All right, dude. Uh, and Clark is, like, shocked. He's like, oh, my gosh, did I really do that? Did I really risk my own life? I must have been out of my mind. And, of course, Lois is like, ugh, why did I ever think that you were cool? Her, her attitudes towards Clark just flips and flops constantly, which I guess maybe thinks maybe makes me think that she does have some affection for him, but she just wishes that he would be more assertive and more confident and less cowardly, and then maybe that would push it over the edge and be like, you know what, this dude's great. I love Clark Kent. So they go into uh, Jensen's Foods uh, to get him something to drink, like maybe... Uh, uh, water, maybe a nice glass of milk. I don't know. Uh, although, just drinking milk. What a, ugh. Uh, so they go in and they notice a slot machine in this store, too. What an epidemic, this gambling thing. And Clark begins to ask about it, but the, the store owner shushes him and says, No, no, they might hear you. And he reveals that Slug Kelly, uh, the I guess a gangster or a businessman or something, uh, has forced all of these store owners. And I guess all, not all the store members are mad about it. Uh, this store owner is, but the other store owner must not be because they must get a cut. Otherwise, why would the other store owner want, like, be standing out on the street ushering kids inside to come play it and telling them to quit school to continue playing it? Like, he's, he's got to be getting a cut. Otherwise, he's just a weirdo who wants to corrupt children. So this store owner says, I, I hate this. I don't like this gambling device in my store. Uh, like, we were forced to it. And he does say something kind of buck wild. Um, he says, every time I see a youngster foolishly throwing money into that evil contraption, I can hardly keep from taking him across my knee and giving him a good spanking. Sir, you don't have the authority or the right to do that. That's not your child. That is, that is some child. Like, 
tell the tell the kids the machine's broken if you don't want them to play it. Like you can't grab someone's child and uh, spank them, which is assault. Like you can't do that. It's just so buck wild. What a weird, what a weird guy. Just tons of weird store owners in this story. So Clark and Lois, or Lois is going to head to Slug Kelly's, and Clark, uh, unfortunately for him, tags along because he's scared. He doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to go meet up a gangster at a gangster's hideout. And they get there, and, uh, well, first of all, the door inside is a steel door with an eye slot, which, like, no upstanding citizen member of society has one of those. So, obviously not off to a great start. Uh, They are ushered inside, and the... Uh, the slug Kelly thinks they're there for like a charity donation or something. And they say, well, no, I mean, that's not why we're here. We're here because we want to know why you're, or actually they want him to stop trying to push his slot machines on children, like for children to use them, stop telling the store owners to ask children to. And you know what, like they make the argument, what can a few pennies and nickels really do for you? And he's like, well, I mean, those pennies and nickels, they add up. They, uh, I'm not going to be, like, missing out on this easy dough. And then Lois, Lois is, is PO'd. She's like, I'll have to be more explicit, I see. I'm going to, I'm warning you. If you don't pull up stakes and leave town, the Daily Planet will blast you so sky high, you'll think you're in a stratosphere balloon. Which is a weather, weather balloon that goes up into the stratosphere to test for weather. Uh, they use it. They still use it today to test uh, for weather, or I think they do. Which I, I think telling someone to leave town is kind of a big thing. You could just be like, "Hey, just stop it. You can stay in town. Like you're allowed. That's your right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, the freedom of movement. That you know, all free, non-incarcerated members of society are given. But uh, do stop. Do stop, please. Um, although if it's not illegal, I don't know." why he would care if the newspaper if it is illegal then oh yeah by all means i i would be afraid of a newspaper but so uh slug kelly doesn't like being threatened so instead of i guess threatening to beat up lois he's like i'm gonna threaten to beat up this man because i mean i may be a i may be a thug but i'm no woman beater and uh he says let's be reasonable here Suppose I slip both of you a little cashola, a little of the green stuff, a, little, a couple grand, a couple K, a couple fat stacks, and we forget all about this disagreement. We forget about it. Uh, and, he, and Lois says, nah, 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 nah. We can't be bribed. That's not our, that's not our steez. And Slug just says, you know what? I'm second wasting my breath on you. Grab them, boys, and lock them up separately. So they do. They take Lois in one room and Clark in the other. Uh, the one, the person locking up Clark says that he doesn't even need to lock the door, really, because this reporter is so scared that even if the door was wide open, he wouldn't do anything. Which, like, Clark is such a good actor. He should be on, like, Broadway or in, or in, in the talkies. Uh, which I guess at this point in time, they don't really call them talkies. It's 1940. They've been talking in film for, like, five, ten years. Uh, well, not ten years. Five years. Um, we then cut back to Slugs Kelly, and he is, uh, coming up with a plan, and he walks into the room that Lois is in, and he gives her this paper, and this paper basically says that the editor of the Daily Planet, George Taylor, is Slug Kelly's partner, 
and that Lois Lane acts as the go-between. And Slug Kelly's proposition is basically, sign this, stating that it's true, and I'll let you go. You will be free to go, and I won't, I won't lay a hand on you, but this is just some insurance that you're not going to write anything, because anything that George Taylor says, or the paper that he's the editor of says, would be like, well, he's just trying to cover his own tracks. And Lois says, of course, he's like, well, I'm not going to sign this. This isn't true. And, uh, and it, would, it would let you get off scot-free, basically. And he says, well, fine. You know what? That's fine. But uh, if you don't, I'm going to kill Clark Kent. And she's like, well, shoot. I mean, I don't absolutely despise Clark Kent and want him to die. So she says she'll sign it. And she does. She signs it. Meanwhile, Clark Kent has, of course, removed his outer garments to reveal his Superman costume and he busts down the door like it is made of toothpicks but this is a stealth mission so he quickly grabs the door before it clangs on the ground why he couldn't just bust the doorknob and quietly open it i don't know actually i do know because one of the golden rules of the golden age is superman loves to destroy things and uh so if he can destroy the door instead of opening it quietly he will he is running down the hallway uh to find Lois, presumably, and and everybody else. When one of the one of uh, Kelly's goons comes out and they bump into each other, oh, it's so comedic! And uh, the goon pulls out his gun and shoots Superman. Superman smacks the bullet out of the air, and it ricochets back and hits the guy the gun in the guy's hand, hand, uh, knocking it out. Uh, then he just leaves him there, I guess. It doesn't show him knocking him out or anything, so he's just standing there like, oh, shoot, I got no gun. What am I supposed to do now? Superman continues exploring the building, and he finds all these slot machines, and he, of course, busts them up because that's his favorite thing to do. Uh, They're just busted left and right, and this is around the time where Slug Kelly and his, uh, his boys in with Lois hear all this commotion. They leave. Uh, and the and the boys grab their Tommy guns, and they find Superman destroying all these slot machines. They, of course, shoot him. Doesn't work. Superman grabs the guns and points the two guns towards each other, and they shoot each other in the barrels, which uh, causes them to be no longer functioning. Um, so he's got the upper hand, of course, obviously, he's Superman. One of the boys throws uh, na- narcotic gas at at Superman, so I guess he just, he has this uh, eight ball of cocaine and is going to throw it at uh, Superman, and it, 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 Superman pretends to be knocked out as a joke, and then the boys uh, all grab weapons, and one of them is an axe, like one has a club, and uh, we don't see what the other one has, but one has an axe, and they're just going to hit Superman, like bro, what if that axe worked and you just, like, caused a huge bloody gash in this dude? Uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's wild. Um, they all, of course, it doesn't work. They're, they're confused and scared about why it's not working. And Superman uh, is, is waking up when one is going to use a fire extinguisher, the chemical fluid inside of it, to blind him. You're going to shoot it straight in his eyes, I guess, cause permanent eye damage. I mean, I guess they are going to kill him. They want to kill him, so they don't care if... You know, they do all this damage to his body. He grabs the fire extinguisher, says, enough of this. Throws it into another slot machine. Um, two of the boys grab, I guess they're called firebrands, but they look like torches to me. And they throw them at Superman. Superman grabs the fire by his, 
like grabs the fire end and puts it out. Uh, and all of the, the slug Kelly and his boys, they make a run for it and they uh, leave through the steel door or through a steel door uh, and shut it behind them. And they're like, oh, whew, we're safe. But then suddenly, no, they're not safe because Superman busts in. And Sup- uh, Slug is attempting to s- slam a-, a vault door shut. I'd- I don't know for what purpose because, uh, like, Superman's not in there or anything. Like, it's not a door that's stopping Superman from getting from- to him because Superman uses his hand to stop it from closing. And then Superman runs inside the vault and... Uh, Slug Kelly closes the door behind him, which I guess maybe him trying to uh, trick Superman into the vault was the entire purpose. So that's, I mean, that's not that's not a terrible idea. Uh, meanwhile, back in the room with all the broken slot machines, uh, it's on fire because of the of the torches. Uh, Superman must not have put them all out completely, and so the room is filling up with smoke. And uh, Slug Kelly and his boys are like, "We gotta get out of here." And they're like, what about the other reporter? And he says, ah, leave them. Leave them. They'll burn alive, and I don't care. I'm Slug Kelly. Uh, Superman busts out of the vault with a bunch of uh, records or, like, ledgers, uh, runs and gets Lois, brings her outside. She wakes up, and she's like, what about Clark? And Superman's like, I'm going to go get him. And he runs inside, puts back on his clothes, and walks out with those ledgers. And it's like... Yeah, Superman gave me these books. What a nerd. Um, and so Lois is like, they're Slug's secret records. Um, back to, well, not back to, uh, a little bit later on at the editorial office of the Daily Planet, the office of George Taylor, uh, uh, one of his men, or one of, the, one of his workers, one of his employees, uh, hands him a, an edition of the Morning Pictorial which is the rival newspaper in town. And it says, Planet editor and reporter in league with Racketeer. Reporter's signed story sent to morning pictorial. So the plan, Slug's plan, is in effect. And Lois walks in, and she's like, I can explain. So she explains that she was forced to, but these records that they have should you know, be able to prove that George Taylor isn't connected, and Slug Kelly's doing it all on his own, and and the statement that he forced Lois to sign is fake. So Clark, after looking at all the names and stuff on these records, uh, goes into a store closet. Uh, I'm assuming everyone in in the office thinks to cry from his terrible ordeal uh, because he's a big baby. Uh, He changes into Superman and is going to go and deal with all these slot machines. So he just goes to stores one by one and either takes the store or takes the slot machines from the stores uh, where whereby the store owners are very happy or they're mad about it and they t- attempt to stab him. And so, you know, Superman deals with that, which I'm so confused about why some store owners would be mad about it. I mean, maybe they they hate gambling. That's that's fair. Uh, and then other other store owners are like, hey, you better put that down. So they've got to be getting a cut. They've got to be getting a cut. And maybe the ones who don't want it, they don't get a cut. The, their slot machines are only in there through extortion or blackmail or anything like that. So they don't get a cut, and also they don't like slot machines. I guess that, that makes sense. That, that logic tracks, to me at least. Um, we then cut to Lois while all this is happening. She leaves the Daily Planet, and uh, Slug Kelly... 
tells her to get into a car. You know, she says, get in there or else. And so they're driving with Lois, or they're in the car with Lois, I should say. And she says, uh, we've got your, you know, records. So a story coming up is going to be pretty bad for you. It should be pretty interesting reading. And Slug's man, or Slug's, one of Slug's boys, says, we got to get out of town, boss. And Slug Kelly's like, all right, well, give me a second. I'm going to make a phone call. So he makes a phone call. Wait, first of all, sorry. No, he makes a phone call, and he says, he calls George Taylor, says, get this, Mr. Editor. Unless you withhold that story for 24 hours, we won't release Miss Lane alive. So basically, I don't know what that accent was. I'm very sorry. It started off like gangstery, but then it turned southern. Uh, so basically, they're going to kill Lois Lane unless uh, George Taylor holds the story for 24 hours. So, uh, But at that moment, uh, we cut back to the, uh, the quick-to-spank store owner who is just, he's fed up. He's fed up with this slot machine. He says, get out of here. And he so he pushes it out into the street and... Um, Slug Kelly and uh, his men in the car are driving down that street, just happened to be, and they see it, and they say, well, you know what, we gotta, we gotta teach him a lesson. He says, gonna get rid of my machine, eh? I'm gonna give you the beating of your life. And he says, no, please, don't strike me. Uh, when, uh, as Slug is about to punch this man in the face, Superman comes, blocks it with his hand, throws Slug back into the car, removes Lois from the car, and then uh, grabs the car and jumps away. He grabs Slug Kelly out of the car, dangles him over a nearby schoolhouse, and which at which point Superman talks to all the children uh, as they leave for lunch, which I, I thought typically you ate lunch inside of the school, so maybe this is some sort of different school. Uh, and he, he says to Slug, he says, tell him the truth, Slug. And Slug says, my slot machines were fixed. You kids couldn't win. And uh, Superman then drops Slug and his boys off at the police station. Uh, where finally, finally due diligence, you know, uh, and proper protocol is followed. And the, the, the sort of intaking police officer says, sorry, we can't hold them unless there are witnesses or... Or like they've been arrested by police. You can't just bring people here to be like, arrest them. And it's like, okay, Superman. Uh, but just then, hundreds of children come in, and they say, you know, oh, we 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 are all we know all of it. We were witnesses. They really weren't. They just heard this guy through coercion, threaten, like basically torture. Uh, say something that's never going to stand up in court. I'll tell you that right now. Um, but weeks later, it does stand up in court. And uh, George Taylor says, It was fortunate for us that all connection between us and Kelly was disproved during the trial. And Clark says, Yes, and Metropolis... Oh, I guess it is called Metropolis. Did that already happen? Am I blanking on Metropolis already being established as the city? All right, well, might be. And uh, it says, Well, I guess gambling is legal in Metropolis. So that's okay. Uh, and Clark says, yes, and Metropolis is freed from a vicious racket that preyed on minors. And Lois said, I'm going to sit down right now and write an editorial giving Superman full credit for, this, for the reform. 
And then Superman has a little PSA at the end. It says, I urge all my readers not to throw their money away wastefully into slot machines. And I have to agree. I have to agree. It's, a, it's not a great habit to get into. Uh, we then have a little sort of uh, fun little full page thing that says super strength rules for summer living. It says get plenty of rest, eat plenty of good wholesome food, and has a boy asking his mom for more of that swell cereal, which cereal doesn't really have a lot of nutrients, so maybe not that one. Uh, lots of healthful outdoor exercise builds strong bones or strong bodies. And then finally a little uh, propaganda from the milk industry. It says drink plenty of milk. So there, that's good. All those rules for summer living. Super strength summer, summer living. Uh, so on to the next story, which has Superman dealing with a politician and dirty news. Or I guess legitimately, and I hate using this term, legitimately fake news. Um, like the news is actually fake. It's not just being called fake because some some idiot says so. So... We start off with Zachary Collum, a person we've never met before, who is the publisher of the Morning Pictorial, the rival newspaper to the Daily Planet. And he is visited by Alex, and his last name is spelled E-V-E-L-L. Now, to make it not so obvious, I feel like that's pronounced Evel, but I'm going to pronounce it Evil because it's much more fitting. So, uh, and, and Alex Evil is uh, someone we've also never met. Uh, and he is a petty, not-too-popular politician, which, if you think about it, a not-too-popular politician is nothing. Because if you're not popular enough to get elected, you're nothing. Uh, and he says, you know, I'm going to cut to the chase, Zachary. I want to buy the pictorial for $25,000. Now, I did a little bit of research before starting this recording. And I, I, I used an inflation calculator. So in October 1940, well, that's not, it's not October, so I did bad math, so let me, sorry, let me go May of, uh, of 1940, uh, the $25,000 has the same buying power as $549,412.50 in October of 20, why is it October? Sorry, gosh, we're in December of 19, of Oh, it's not available. That's why. So in October of 2023. Now, that's a lot of money, I will say. But it's not a lot of money for an entire newspaper, I think. And I mean, and Zachary thinks so as well. He says, he says, you must be out of your head, man. You know as well as I do, the newspaper is worth many times that amount. Besides, I wouldn't consider selling for any price. And then uh, Alex Evil it lives up to his last name and says, nevertheless, you're going to sell out. My political power is growing, and with a newspaper to back me, nothing can stop me. I'll have the city in my palm in no time at all. Is your is your political power growing if you're not popular? I just don't understand. And uh, uh, Zachary says, I'll be no party to your foul ambitions. Leave. And uh, Alex Evil says, not so fast, Mr. High and Mighty. Either you sell or, well, it would be a pity if anything happened to your wife and kids. Now, that's that's threat, that's extortion, and blackmail, likely. Uh, all those things are illegal, if you don't know. Uh, later, we're in the offices of the Daily Planet, and Lois comes up to Clark and says, Did you hear? Evil just purchased the morning pictorial. And uh, obviously, Clark is shocked by this, because that's not good. 
the city council meeting, uh, maybe later that day or in, in the near future, uh, city council representative Barnes delivers uh, a castigation of Alex Evil. He says Evil is an opportunist of the lowest rank. His sole interest in politics is to ex- the extent of stuffing his bank account with illicit graft. He's dangerous, I tell you, and I demand a probe of his activities. Well, the next day in the pictorial, it says Barnes accusations top Baron Munchausen. Now, I didn't get that reference because I'm not a person from 1940. Uh, and I'm not well read on Russian, German-born Russian uh, generals. Uh, or is he a general? Uh, I don't know what he is. But uh, uh, Hieronymus Karl Friedrich Freire von Munchausen is a guy uh, born in Germany who fought in the Russo-Turkish War in 1735 to 1739. After he retired, he became a minor celebrity in uh, the German uh, aristocracy for telling lies about his military career. Uh, a, a book was later written uh, in 1785 called Baron Munchausen's Narrative of His Marvelous Travels and Campaigns in Russia uh, because he told so many outrageous lies. So that is what that reference is um, because I didn't know what it was. I mean, I know about Munchausen syndrome, which is about lying, uh, but I didn't know. That it was a real guy. Uh, so we then get uh, a, a scene of Alex Evil in his new offices as publisher of the pictorial where a bunch of mobsters and gangsters come in and be like, the cops arrested Mike and all he did was rob a bank. And he's like, hey, they smashed my roulette wheels. So I guess maybe gambling is illegal. I'm so confused about the the laws and the, the like... Codes in in Metropolis because these slot machines are just out in the open in these stores where anyone could walk in, even a police officer. But n- nothing's happening. But also, the police smashed up this guy's roulette wheels, so gambling must be illegal. It's so weird. And uh, and the other one says they confiscated all our fake lottery tickets. Those jerks. And Alex Evil's like, well, don't worry, I, I leave it to me. And the next day, a a piece in the pictorial titled Police Guilty of Third Degree Methods. Morning Pictorial Advocates Job Shakeup. And I will say all these stories are written by these great, these guys with these great names. Uh, the first one, Barnes Accusations Top Baron Munchausen, uh, was by Peter Fibb. And the police one was by I.M. or M. Lion. I am Lion. <laughs> Uh, it's pretty funny. Or I thought it was funny. Um, Clark Kent goes for a quote from the police, and they're like, these are all lies. I don't know what the pictorial is talking about. And uh, so Clark writes up a article on the pictorial being a liar. This then begins a newspaper war with the pictorial. Uh, Alex Evil comes to the Daily Planet and says, hey, I don't want any more of these articles uh, by this Clark Kent. And uh, Bert Mason, the publisher of the Daily Plan, says, well, we always print the truth, so I'm not going to stop anything. And Alex Evil's like, well, I mean, we don't need to argue. And as a matter of fact, I'm, I'll am i consent to buying your newspaper. I'll take this newspaper off your hands. And Bert Mason's like, mm, no, 
Um, how about you consent to getting out of my office before I throw you out of my office? And Alex Evil leaves and says, you'll be sorry, you bullheaded fool. I tried to be friendly, but if it's war that you want, that's exactly what you'll get. So this war begins, uh, and it starts off with a one of the Daily Planet's trucks being set on fire and newspapers being thrown down into the sewer. George Taylor is about to send Clark on a vacation for all the good work he's done, but with this news, he says, can't can't go on vacation, Clark. You gotta go investigate this. And Lois says, wait for me. I want to come too. And so she does. She goes with. And they go down there and they meet up with the, they find the guy there who lit this truck on fire. And he's like, yeah, you Daily Planet reporters. And he's like, this is just the beginning. See, if your boss don't sell out, it'll get worse. Or it'll get worse with an eye. And uh, Lois, of course, is brave. And she says, he's not the type to be intimidated by cheap thugs. And Clark's like, oh, careful, Lois. You'll make him lose his temper. He's likely to get violent. And uh, the guy gets a little violent. He kind of rubs Clark's face and kind of pushes him into a fence. And Lois, of course, you know, stalks off. It's like, ah, why don't you stand up for yourself, Clark? Like a normal red-blooded he-man. Which, what a weird phrase. Uh, They head back to the Daily Planet. And uh, George Taylor's like, oh, I see. It's a war they want. Well, it's a war that they... I guess won't get because I just all I'm going to do is send Clark Kent out to get stories for red hot news. Uh, But Lois can't leave because it's dangerous. But Clark Kent, who's a big coward, is forced to leave because because otherwise, how is he supposed to do Superman stuff? So he does. He turns into Superman. And then we basically have a series of scenes of classic Superman stuff where he goes and stops bad guys from doing bad stuff by being intimidating and destroying stuff. He uh, he destroys a whole line of morning pictorial trucks that are blocking the avenue, uh, stopping Daily Planet trucks from delivering their latest editions. He stacks them up all broken on like a deck of cards. Uh, an armored uh, truck comes. I guess it was supposed to do something nefarious to... Uh, oh, yeah, it's supposed to collide with the Daily Planet trucks to destroy them. Uh, Clark of or Superman uh, flips it over with uh, great ease. Uh, a man or a couple men, it looks like. Oh, it lo- at first glance, it looks like one dude is doing this, but it's two dudes who are flipping over a, a Daily Planet truck. Uh, Clark stops them, and then uh, they they hop into the truck itself and drive it away. And Superman grabs it and jumps up into the sky and then balances them on top of like, I don't know if it's a smokestack or some type of chimney, but he just leaves them up there. And he says, you figure it out. Don't rock the boat, boys, when they ask like, are you going to leave us up here? Then we see uh, a, a group of dudes who are stealing newspapers from a newspaper, uh, newspaper stand. And... They attempt to run off with the newspapers. Uh, but Superman catches up with them. And they get all scared and, and run away. Uh, another scene is a, a morning pictorial car or truck hitting a the wagon of a newsboy. A little newsy boy. And they hit his poor wagon. Like, come on, dude. He's out here doing child labor. And you're going to hit his wagon? Uncool. Uncool. He grabs the guy out of the truck and 
um, kind of throws him up into the air, and he's he's plumbing. Obviously, he plummets back down to the earth, and then Superman catches him with one hand at the base of his spine. Now, I don't know if you know anything about physics and superheroes, but there's a study that a physicist did in regards to Spider-Man, where Spider-Man, swinging like he does when he catches people, he'd likely break their necks. Um, just like what happened with, spoiler alert, Gwen Stacy, uh, in when, he, when Spider-Man attempted to save her from the Green Goblin. Uh, in a very famous Spider-Man story, he broke, he broke her neck. Um, S- Superman, stopping this dude from hurling from a couple, or hurtling to the ground from a couple stories up after being thrown up there, now, I guarantee he hasn't reached, granted, he hasn't reached, you know, terminal velocity or anything, but still, like, landing on your spine on Sup- Sp- Superman's hand, that's got, like, that would, like, either mess your back up really bad or snap some vertebrae. I'm just saying. Just like, maybe catch him more daintily. I know he's a bad guy, but still. And then he he hangs him up from a, what looks to be a Civil War statue by uh, this dude's sword by his belt. It's very funny. He looks like a, like a kid that's being bullied in high school. Um, a truck gets ran off the road. Superman uh, grabs it and throws it back up onto the road. Uh, then Superman, a guy throws, not Superman, uh, a morning pictorial guy throws a guy through a noose paper stand window like come on dude this is this is insane superman grabs the guy and they jump up into the air and he juggles him around and then superman throws him through the windows of the office of the morning pictorial right onto uh alex uh, evil's desk now that dude that i mean that dude is a bad guy the guy who threw a dude through the window but that also is gonna hurt like that's real glass. You're going to get cut up like like crazy. So, after doing this, Superman lands or like grabs onto the windowsill, classic Superman stealth sleuthing technique, but this time, Alex Evil as he's talking to the guy that just came through the window, thinks fingerprints hanging outside the window, someone's eavesdropping. And Superman's of course hoping to hear something valuable. Uh, when Alex Evil grabs an axe that he just happens to... Nope, never mind. I thought it was just laying around. It's from a firebox. So he grabs an axe out of this firebox, and he is going to chop the fingers off of the person hanging from the windowsill. Now, the odds that it's a regular person are low because it, we're on, like, the third, fourth, fifth story. We're near the top of this building, so it's very unlikely this is a normal person just hanging by their fingertips from a building. But still... He's going to chop the fingers off of this person, and then they're obviously going to fall to their death. And it's like, uh, it's pretty suspicious. What are you going to do, just chuck the fingertips out the window and be like, problem solved, no evidence here. But obviously it doesn't work. And then Superman uh, does a little bait and switch. He then kind of flies, not flies, but like, Hurls himself up to the top of the building, and then uh, as Alex Evil looks out the window, it's like, oh, okay, he's, he's leaving. Superman then kind of sneaks back down and overhears Alex Evil 
planning to do something nefarious to Lois Lane, who he knows is fond of Superman. How would he know that? I don't know. So Evil puts in a call to Lois Lane and says, uh, this, is Bentley, this is Bentley Hospital, Miss Lane. A badly injured reporter named Clark Kent is calling for you. She's like, oh my gosh, I'll be right down because she cares for Clark a little bit as we've, as we've known. And so she quickly leaves the office. She puts on her going out hat and maybe even an entire different outfit. Nope, nope, same outfit. But uh, she rushes out and immediately is grabbed by a guy and put in a car and they speed off. But Superman grabs onto the fender and is kind of pulled along. His head hits a curb and shatters it. Not his head, the curb. He shatters the curb. And they finally get to a building and Lois is brought inside. And they say, Superman's got to be coming eventually for Lois Lane. So you boys have your guns pointed at this door. And when he comes in, blast him. So Superman comes in and uh, they start blasting. Uh, and Evil brings Lois Lane into another room and begins setting things on fire uh, to uh, burn Superman alive. And she's like, you'll burn your own men as well as Superman. He's like, what does it matter how many die so long as Superman is destroyed? Wow, <laughs> that's some real Lex Luthor thinking. So Superman's dealing with the two, th- two thugs who are shooting him with machine guns. Uh, one grabs an elephant gun and shoots him within like a yard Uh, distance, which that would annihilate a regular person, Um, but obviously bounces right off Superman. He clunks their heads together, very Three Stooges style, and then runs into the other room, where he finds it on fire. Uh, He rushes outside uh, and sees Evil escaping in a car, and Superman's like, well, I can't leave those two dudes in there. He rushes back inside, grabs them, jumps up, and lands in front of Evil's car, stopping it, knocks both of the front tires off, then pulls Evil out of the car and says, are you going to confess to your crimes? Classic Superman extortion technique. And Evil says, I won't talk. You can't intimidate me. And uh, the two, his two boys, or former boys, I should say, says, we'll talk. You try to burn us, will you? We'll get even. And so Superman brings the three thugs, uh, including Evil, to the police station. And says, here are some customers for you, Sergeant. And I guess that's good enough. This policeman doesn't put up a fuss. All he says is, Superman! And then we cut to Clark Kent with George Taylor. And he says, now that Colum has his paper back and evil safely in prison, how about getting that vacation you promised me, Taylor? And Taylor says, sorry, Clark. You'll have to postpone it. Colum is giving us some pretty stiff competition now that he's back as publisher. And I'll need you around. And Clark says, one thing you'll have to admit, Chief, two newspapers are better than one. Uh, and Taylor says, and one busy reporter is better than one who wastes time gabbing. Get going, Clark. I want news. I want pictures of Spider-Man. Um, and that's the end of that one. Uh, I, I agree. Multiple sources that can, you know, shine light on maybe some misinformation coming from the other is good, but if one's uh, spreading straight up lies, maybe that's not so good, I think, I think personally. Then we have a little short text, uh, uh, like little thing from George Schrute, or George Shute, S-H-U-T-E, about the power of the press, that I'm not going to talk about, because it's just all text. Uh, and then we can get on to the next story, 
in this issue uh, where uh, the the sort of beginning blurb is an unexpected wave of unemployment hits the country as millions suffer from hunger, business staggers, and the United States is faced with the worst depression in its history, which like it's 1940. The United States is barely out of the worst depression in its history previously. So that is either very bad or this is a lot of hyperbole happening. And obviously this is a fictional world, so we can pretend that the actual depression didn't happen. So, uh, Taylor sends Clark out to find out why this is happening. Uh, so he's going to interview some of the city's uh, leading men of finance for their opinions about why this depression is happening. And uh, so Clark does, and he's interviewing a bunch of dudes. And he keeps smelling this sickeningly sweet odor of incense in the air. And they're all saying things like, oh, it's just a temporary panic and things will return to, to normal in a few days. Uh, Clark comes to his final interview with a, with a Mr. Gregory, and he's done asking him a question. He's like, what is that smell, like that incense smell that I keep smelling? And Gregory's like, oh, um, uh, nothing. It's nothing at all. Just a, a peculiarity of mine and nothing important. I just like the smell of incense, which, fair. You're all allowed to like smells of things that smell gross. But as Clark leaves, he sort of overhears something that gives him pause. Uh, Mr. Gregory is on the phone. He said, just had a call from a snooping Daily Planet reporter. He's suspicious. Might stir up some mischief. And then he's listening. He's listening. He says, yes, I understand. Uh, Outside, Clark sees a bomber uh, up in the sky. And... It looks like it's ready to discharge its cargo. I don't know how he knows it's about to do that. Maybe the bays are open, like the bay doors are opening and he can see it. But he quickly takes off his suit and turns into Superman. And he jumps up into the sky and grabs the missiles as they're dropped from this uh, plane. And they're apparently aimed at the Daily Planet, which uh, whoever is in, whoever is behind whatever nefarious plot. Superman is uncovering? I know the answer, but I'm keeping it a secret. It's going to take drastic measures like terrorism uh, and and bombing buildings with civilians in it, uh, which is, I think, very drastic. Uh, So, after Superman disposes of these bombs, he puts back on his Clark Kent, uh, I don't want to say disguise, clothes, and says, you know what? Gregory might have ordered the planet bombed to silence me. I believe I'll pay that gent a return call. So he returns to Mr. Gregory's office, and uh, Gregory's in there trembling. He's very scared, and he says, I've just phoned the police, warned them that someone is coming to kill me. Listen, hear it? The The sirens. And Clark goes to the window, and he's like, yeah, I see police cars, and they're down below, and uh, wow, they're coming in the building. Wow, that's... um, And then suddenly, Bang! Behind him, uh, Gregory has shot himself. And before he dies, he says, I merely followed orders from higher up. When the police enter the room and find you here, you'll be branded the murderer. And he dies. So Clark is now in a uh, sticky wicket. If he is found in this room with a dead body and a gun, he will be thrown in jail. He jumps out of the window to an adjoining building's rooftop, goes down the building stairs, and comes out, and then 
and then comes up to a police officer that he knows and says, what's the matter, Pat? And Pat, he's just so nonchalant. He's like, oh, just another murder. Can't You know, they had the dime a dozen these days, you know, these freaking murders always happening. Uh, I guess it's okay for you to enter, which is like, what? That is not proper police procedure. It's like, ah, you're a reporter. Just go inside and look at the crime scene. So Clark goes inside and he looks at the crime scene and um, he says, oh, yeah, you know, just the bloodhound in me to find this crime scene so quickly, other police officers. He says, who knows? I may even solve the crime for you. And they're all like, oh, yeah, fat chance, whatever. Uh, There's no clues in this murder. And he's like, well, if you see here from the uh, angle at which the bullet entered his skull, it's very clearly that he killed himself. And the detective's like, by golly? Or by George? He's right. It's suicide. Just, man, what, like, how much investigating did you do? Did you just walk into the room and then Clark Kent's like, I'm here. He killed himself. Because, like, you're a bad detective otherwise. If it took, if, 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 you know, you hadn't already deduced that, I guess. Which maybe I'm not giving them enough slack. Uh, Clark saw the crime. So he can be like, oh, yeah, look at it. Murder. Suicide. So Clark then telephones his story into uh, the office, and then he's got he's going to go revisit another office. He's going to visit the office of Borden Mosley, and he is a quote unquote a ruthless financial giant. So Clark uh, attempts to walk into Mr. Mosley's office, which Mr. Mosley makes me think of uh, Sweet Life of Zach and Cody. Mr. Mosley, it's not him. Just so you're wondering. Uh, when the receptionist throws Clark out and says, out, Mosley ain't in to no reporters, which I guess he must have really changed his tune from this afternoon when Clark was there previously. So Clark is going to you know, have to do some trick trickery to get into this office. So he walks into an office next door and says that he thinks he's going to pass away soon at any moment and he'd like some insurance at once and the receptionist's like oh yeah let me just see if mr metzel's in and can see you and while she's calling mr metzel clark sneaks out of the window and uh and and climbs across to the other office to mr mosley's office and he hears some people about to come in and he hides in a big cabinet so these three businessmen, one of them being Mosley, comes in and they're going to talk about uh, how slick they are because they continue to pile up profits while the rest of the country goes bankrupt. And it's like, yeah, and we owe it all to dot, dot, dot. And, the, and Mr. Mosley stops and be like, wait, don't say who it is until I get rid of my hat and coat. Like, what? That's so weird. He's like, stop, don't say that last word until I put my coat in this closet. I can't hear that word until I don't have a hat and coat on. So he does, and he doesn't see Clark in there, which is crazy. And then uh, as he's kind of done, they're like, look, there's feet in the closet. And they quickly pull out Clark, and it's like, ah, this nosy reporter. They're like, speak up, why are you hiding in there? What did you ever hear? And Clark's like, I gotta get out of here. So he gets out of here, and he dashes towards a drape where the incense smell is coming from, and he pulls it aside, and what's in there? It's a marble bust of Luther smoking a cigar and uh, the smoke coming out of the cigar is the incense smell that's been you know following all these men around Ooh. and uh, the three men get him they punch him in the face and they say curiosity killed the cat and it's going to do the same for you 
which like great line great line and so one of them has a gun on clark and says one false move and i'll pull the trigger he says careful with that gun please because he's clark Kent. he's like i'm so scared um they open up the elevator door uh without calling the elevator which is not how it's done you typically you call the elevator and then you open the door so obviously they're 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 confused, uh, but they push Clark down the elevator shaft, and Mosley's like, "All right, all right, boys, go down there and get that body and dispose of it. I've got to go deal with something." Clark, of course, makes it down to the bottom of the elevator shaft without dying, uh, which <laughs> couldn't say the same for me. Uh, when and he takes off his Clark Kent clothes and becomes Superman. And when the boys come down to get his dead body, they're surprised that he's not a dead body. And also, he's got a cape now and a big S, and he's wearing his underwear on the outside. And they try to shoot him because got to have guns. And they're, you know, they're bouncing off him, of course, and he knocks their heads together, Three Stooges style, uh, a great move by Superman. And then Superman jumps out of the building, like he leaves the building and jumps up to a nearby building. And uses his telescopic x-ray vision and his hearing to spy on Mosley as he is talking to this bust, this bust of Luther. And, and Mosley says to this bust, it says, you wish me to come and make a full report? I obey. So a, uh, an, an auto gyro, which is a plane with a helicopter top, uh, lands on the building. Mosley gets inside, and it flies away. So Superman's like, oh, so Luther's still alive, because he, you know, presumed dead from last issue. Uh, last Superman issue, I should say. So, but he is still alive, and he's plotting the downfall and subjugation of present-day civilization. The world will never be safe until that fiend is destroyed, and somehow I've got to accomplish it. So the autogyro, uh, whoever's flying it, sees Superman. Um, Superman grabs onto the autogyro and rips the propellers off. And it begins to fall out of the sky because that's how it flies. And without it, it can't do that. So Mosley jumps out of the plane, presumably has a parachute, because in the next panel, we see him walking off uh, into, the, into a mountain or into a hidden, a hidden cove, a secret entrance into a mountain. So Superman follows him in there. And Mosley enters through the steel door. And Superman walks up to the door. And the door says, present the password. And Superman, of course, doesn't know the password. Uh, but before he can do anything, a hole in the ground opens up. And he falls into a spike pit. And he says, odd, but I'm actually comfortable. As he's bent all these spikes around him. Which, I mean, I guess it's kind of like a form-fitted bed. Um, Superman should maybe think about that. He jumps out of that, no problem, when a vat of acid falls on him. Uh, but don't worry, all it did was clean his clothes because his uniform is constructed of a cloth that he invented himself, which is immune to the most powerful forces, which, hey, Superman, do you think maybe if you could use that technology to protect people uh, instead of just protecting yourself? I mean, not even protecting yourself, just making sure you're not running around naked. Like, not even, like, you could sell it for free to... Or maybe you want to keep it to yourself because it could fall into the wrong hands. I get it. Uh, I like it better when it's techn it's like fabric or material from Krypton, which has the same sort of molecular structure that he has. But obviously, we're not there yet um, because we don't even know how Superman gets his powers. 
yet. Like, that is, hasn't even been established yet. So Superman grabs the vat and throws it into the door, busting it open so that he can continue along the tunnel. Uh, and apparently that loud crashing noise of, of a huge vat colliding and busting through a steel door didn't alert Mosley or anybody in this facility to uh, Superman's whereabouts or entering. So he is he has found Mosley, and Mosley is talking to a television screen. And uh, Mosley is saying, can you give me further advice on the stock market? And on the screen is Luthor, and it's he says, non-associated steel is going up. But remember, I expect 75% of your profits for that tip, which seems like a bad deal. That's a raw deal for Mosley. Now, I know what you're thinking. Mosley said that the statue instructed him to come and give a full report, but he didn't. He just asked for advice. So that's kind of maybe a... a a misstep, a plot hole in, in the plotting of this one. Uh, Superman attempts to run up on the screen and destroy it. Uh, Luther sees Superman and says, Superman, when two uh, electric uh, rays shoot at Superman and they hit him, uh, he, you know, he dusts, he brushes it off like it's nothing and then destroys the... Uh, television machine uh, causing a big explosion. He protects Mosley from dying when the cavern that they're in begins to collapse. Uh, Mosley is scared and Superman grabs him and brings him outside and saves his life. And then he kind of slaps Mosley awake because he passed out and says, what is the meaning of the incense? And Mosley says, just on like, just without even Superman having to threaten him or anything like, he just says and like all these people all these people that are under the influence of this incense they just give out information willy-nilly like the guy like mr gregory he didn't have to tell you know clark kent anything he could have just said nothing he could have just said hey clark what up what's out that window and then shot himself and clark would have been like what the and then he would have noticed the police it's just it just doesn't make any sense. And now, Mosley's like, it's a narcotic incense Luther placed in the offices of prominent men throughout the nation, thus enslaving them. Like, don't, don't, this is bad. Don't tell them. And I mean, let's think, let's take it. Maybe I'm jumping to conclusions here. I tend to do that. Maybe the incense just makes them very, very, very open to suggestion. It makes them easily pliable. But then... It, it, if they can, if they just say anything to anybody, it doesn't seem like it will work very well for Luther. I don't know. It just doesn't really make any sense that they'd be giving out all this information. Typically, when you have, like, drugged someone into doing your bidding or anything like that or, or mind-controlled them, they typically don't give out that information. Like, it's in the programming. Don't give out this information. But whatever. Um Superman then asks for a full list of Luther's victims, and Mosley's like, yeah, I have a complete list back in my office. Do you want to go get it? Superman's like, yeah. So they go there, and uh, Mosley's like, there, it's in my safe. And Superman walks in, and for the second issue in a row, uh, a person locks uh, Superman in a safe. Superman busts out and uh, you know, threatens Mosley, says, I ought to pulverize you, but you're not worth the eff effort. And then Superman reads all of the names of the people involved uh, with Luther's scheme and um, memorizes them. And then 
he asks for some more information, which Mosley readily gives him, uh, and says, like, where does Luther hide out? He's like, I don't know, but he's he's going to meet his victim shortly at the Garriston Tower for a conference. Uh, and then Superman forces Mosley to call in and say, this is Mosley speaking. This is to inform you that I escaped from the cavern cave in and I will be present at the meeting. Then, uh, and then after ending that phone call, Mosley just jumps out the window. He's like, I've betrayed Luther. It's better that I die this way than fall into his hands. And, uh, Superman stops him. He just, he, he jumps out of the window and then grabs Mosley and just throws him back through the window. Uh, after getting back up through the window into the office, Superman knocks out Mosley uh, so that he can't do anything bad and then puts on a disguise uh, uh, by by contorting his features so that he looks identical to Mosley. And then he puts on a fake mustache and Mosley's clothes and goes to this meeting. In the meeting, everyone's giving off their reports and uh, it's Mosley's turn to give his report and uh, once Mosley stands up, or should I say when Superman stands up, Luther says, guards, get in here and point your guns at everyone but Mosley. And Luther says, I know it's you, Superman. Like, come on. And this is Luther when he still has hair. He's not a bald man yet. Um, and Superman's like, well, if you know who I am, then there's no need for me to have this disguise. And Superman says, your weapons don't frighten me. As you know, I'm immune. And Luther says, yes, but if you don't capitulate and join forces with me, I'll give the order to shoot down the others. Their deaths will be on your hands. Uh, Superman then uh, flips over the table and then punches Luther in the face when suddenly the corner that's, that Luther is standing in like breaks off of this building and underneath is a plane that just flies away with the building on it as the building starts to crumble away. Now, I know that this is superhero comics and logic goes right out the window, but that's not how planes work. A plane can't go from a dead stop to flying with a chunk of a building on it. And I, yeah, I know, I know. It could be just like a super technologically advanced plane that Luther invented, but it's just, it's just silly. It's just silly. At least kind of try to live in the laws that we live in. Of physics. So the plane flies off. And uh, Superman gives chase to the plane. And he catches up with the plane. And uh, crashes into... Sorry. He doesn't just catch up with the plane. He overtakes the plane. And then, and then collides with it head on collision. And it crashes into a uh, body of water. And he's like, the end of Luther. So Superman's done a murder. And later, uh, George Taylor is talking to Clark Kent and says, Congratulations, Clark. Because of the list of Luther's victims that you published, the men were successfully cured. And Clark says, Most important of all is that the menace is removed and that the nation is returning to its former prosperity. The end. Um, yeah. That's fine. It's fine. Luther's stories are very silly right now because of like, first we had the face coming out of the plane with no explanation, and now we've got the plane that can just fly with part of a building on it. It's fine. Uh, let's move on to the final story in uh, in Superman number five. Okay, so this uh, story, this story, the final story in Superman number five begins with Clark Kent getting an assignment from... George Taylor to check out Morton Craig. He's been arrested for grand larceny. 
Clark makes the comment that he could have sworn you couldn't find a more honest man than Craig. Wonder what came over him. So he goes and visits Craig in the jail. And Craig's not talking. Craig's not going to say a single thing to anybody. And as Clark is leaving, Craig asks for his doctor. Dr. Bren uh, says he's feeling terrible. Um, I don't know if you're allowed to have your own specific doctor come in in, in jails, but uh, he does get that. Uh, later, um, Dr. Bren arrives and says that Craig suffers from anemia and needs an injection to help with the symptoms. I obviously don't know that if that's true. I'm not a medical doctor. But uh, Dr. Bren is going to give him an injection to make him feel better. He gets the injection, and suddenly Craig no longer has, like, a dull appearance. He's now got a new sparkle, a new, a new you know, hop in his step. And he says to Dr. Bren after the injection, he says, Get this, Dr. Bren. Either I get released from this jail somehow, anyway, or I talk. Understand? Talk. And Dr. Brent's like, no, no, don't be a fool. I'll see if I can get anything done. And Clark is in an adjoining room talking to the police officer or whatever, um, seeing if he can maybe get still, get, a, get some information out of Craig when he overhears this. And he's like, hmm, this is suspicious. So he follows Dr. Bren. First, he takes off his Clark Kent clothes and becomes Superman and follows Dr. Bren to a what is called a drab edifice, so like a, a rundown building. He goes inside... And uh, Superman, using his extra vision and, and super hearing, uh, sees Dr. Bren talking with a man named Carlin and says and tells him that uh, Craig wants to be, you know, let out of jail. Otherwise, he's going to talk uh, about what's going on. And Carlin, Carlin says, well, why don't you know what? Go handle that guy to one of his boys. He says, go see that he doesn't live to squeal, men. And uh, they're like, leave that guy to us, boss. So his boys get in the car, but uh, before they can get too far, Superman jumps down from a building and pushes them so that they run into a traffic light right next to a cop. And the cop says, says drive to the station. You're under arrest. I don't typically think that you, uh, if you get into an accident, uh, which I guess, I mean, if it's an accident, then... I don't know the procedure. I've never been in an accident. Um, so you get a ticket? You... I don't know. But I don't typically think you're under arrest. But uh, maybe he's like, you threatened to kill me. This is attempted murder. But whatever. They'll, they're dealt with. So Superman hangs around a little bit longer and finds Carlin leaving and follows him to the laboratory of Professor Carl Grinstead, one of the world's most accomplished chemists. Superman uh, gets over on top of the laboratory and is watching through the skylight, uh, overhearing and seeing a conversation between Carlin and Grinstead where Carlin you know, congratulates the professor on the great work uh, for his m remarkable discovery of parabioline. Um, it's doing great work. And Grin says, well, you know, a great, credit, a great deal of credit belongs to you. I'm but a man of science. Without your financial backing and business acumen, I'd have been helpless. That's not true at all. That's not true at all at all. Like, there are research... I mean, even at this time, even in 1940, there were, you know, businesses, that entire thing was research and... and pharmaceutical companies this is a pharmaceutical a pharmaceutical company would have paid him money to develop 
and license his drug under their you know umbrella. Modern medicine exists. Medicine, the infrastructure of medicine exists. I think that this is BS. This is BS storytelling. Uh, so Superman hears someone approaching on the roof, and so he hides behind a chimney and sees Nick Blake. What a great first name. Uh, Carlin's bitterest underworld foe. See, what's weird is that Nick Blake gets a first and a last name, but Carlin just gets a, a last name. Or maybe it's his first name. I don't know. But interesting. Uh, Nick Blake is going to just do a straight-up assassination and shoot through the skylight into Carlin. But Superman jumps and blocks the bullet because even though Carlin is a bad guy, he doesn't deserve to die without, you know, due process. If he does something so heinous that he gets the death penalty, that's another, you know, that's another kettle of fish. But this is not, this is extra-judicial killing. So uh, Superman and Nick Blake kind of fight over the gun, and they fall through the skylight, crash into the floor of the laboratory. And Carlin calls in his men uh, to deal with uh, Superman. They grab Superman, and you know, they ask him, "What did? What did you? Who are you? What do you know? What did you overhear? And all this kind of stuff." He won't talk, and so. Carlin orders him taken away and, uh, and uh, dealt with, you know, make sure he sleeps with the fishes, all that kind of stuff. He's going to be wearing concrete shoes, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Grinstead is shocked by this because he's like, what do you mean finish him off? You don't mean, and Carlin's like, murder? Sure, why not? And he says, but you can't, you mustn't, I won't allow it. And Carlin says, you know what, you won't? Well, then you're going in the cellar, old Old man goes in the cellar. Nobody puts baby in a corner, but I'm putting grandpa in the cellar. Uh, the boys, the two boys sent to deal with Superman, uh, take him, drive him to this bridge. He's not saying anything this entire time. He is just cool as a cucumber. Uh, he does this dumb thing that he always does where, uh, not always, but he does on numerous occasions where he pretends like the things that they're doing to him actually do something. So they shoot him, and he pretends to die, and then uh, they throw him in the river, and then he just hangs out at the bottom of the river until they leave. It's like, this is a waste of time, and this is, just get back to it. You have to, what if they're doing something bad to Grinstead, you know? There's no time for fun and games, Superman. This is, this is serious business. So, as they're leaving, he comes up from the bottom of the river and grabs onto the bottom of their car and just hangs on. Uh, as they drive, you know, one of them makes a, a crack about how this road is so bumpy, and Superman is, like, smoothing the road as he's being dragged along on top of it. So that's funny. The boys get back to uh, a factory building, and uh, they call Carlin and say, yeah, we dealt with that guy in the costume. And, and Carlin's like, nice work, Jimmy. Step up the para... Uh, such a bad name. Parabioline. Production. Dr. Bren has located more patients who might prove useful to us. So, uh, Superman is discovered in the factory over over hearing or eavesdropping on that conversation. And so all the men in the factory are trying to deal with him. And one uh, throws boiling fluid, which I don't know what boiling fluid is. I mean, all fluid boils at a certain point, right? Uh, but it's boiling fluid. Or maybe it's... Oh, maybe it's an adjective. It is describing fluid. It is a fluid that is boiling, so it's very hot. Okay. Whew. Otherwise, it's like, what is boiling fluid? Um, that was that was on me. That was a dumb kind of uh, 
brain lapse on my point part. Uh, then Superman does his classic shtick of running through a place and just destroying everything. He did it in an issue of Action Comics a long time ago where he was in a newspaper factory. And he destroyed all of the newspaper equipment. Uh, but this time he's destroying all this equipment that's making parabioline. Uh, just goes throughout, just breaks everything. And then the thugs, uh, in an attempt to stop him, even though he's all, all done destroying everything already... They shoot him with Tommy guns. He uh, ties the barrels together, uh, and then he runs through the wall um, just because that's his whole thing. He jumps back to, or try, I just, he can't fly yet. He won't be able to fly for years. He doesn't fly until like 1943. So I, he jumps. He jumps really high. We all know the Superman's thing at this point. He jumps over to Professor Grinstead's laboratory again to um, save the day when he overhears uh, Grinstead and Carlin talking. Grinstead's like, you've changed. You don't seem the same person. You imprisoned me. Calmly discuss murder? Why? And Carlin says, listen, chump, and find out. You'll be surprised to learn that I haven't been using your drug to help people. Instead, I find people who need it, like Dr. Bren and Morton Craig, and make them do my bidding. They either steal or die. Now, Grinstead... I'm not one to um, to advocate for pharmaceutical companies. I think a lot of them do a lot of bad stuff. I mean, Pfizer for one. No, yeah, Purdue. No, not Pfizer. Purdue. Purdue. Oh, my gosh. Pfizer does good stuff by, like, developing the vaccine. Uh, Purdue. Purdue. Does bad stuff with, like, Oxycontin, stuff like that. But there's safeguards for you. And, you know, regulations that they have to go through in order to sell your drugs that maybe if you had gone that route, you wouldn't have to learn about all this and working with a gangster who kills people. So, yeah. Grin said that I'm not making any more parabioline for you. And he says, well, it doesn't matter because I'm already making it all myself anyways. I'm making way more than you in my factory. So Carlin locks the professor in and then hears gunfire. It's like, what's that? gunfire and so he runs to another room and inside is uh it's the room where they were holding nick blake uh and all of his his boys are here now and it's now just a carlin versus nick blake uh boys uh fight all all the boys are fighting uh fights bring all the boys to the yard and uh superman then gets in on it and so now it's a superman v nick blake boys v carlin boys and, oh, man, does it get messy. Uh, boys just flying into other boys and a, a boy hanging from a moose head on the wall sillily by his belt and another one hanging by his collar. It's just so silly. They're all hanging up all on deer heads and moose heads and elk heads. and It's just, it's, it's so silly. Uh, Superman then, uh, oh, actually, sorry, we cut to Dr. Grinstead. He is in, I guess he was, I thought he was locked in the cellar. But I guess he was locked in his laboratory, kind of, because he says, you know, lock Grandpa in the cellar earlier, but now he's in his laboratory somehow. Uh, and he says, I tried to create a blessing for mankind, but succeeded only in creating a curse. There's only one honorable way to pay for my crime. Turn yourself into the authorities and pay your debt to society? No, I must kill myself. So he, he mixes chemicals together that shouldn't be mixed together and makes a big explosion. And he is dying. Superman uh, rushes into the room and grabs him and jumps off to the hospital. 
and they say we can't do anything. He's 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 gonna die soon, and we can't do anything. And Superman's like, you you know, just just put him in a artificial fever machine, which I guess is a thing. I guess a hot box. Put him in a sauna. Get him, let him have a good sfitz, and a good sfitz cures all. And then I'll be back. So Superman rushes over to Doctor Bren's office. I guess he knows where it is, and. He says, I can't, no need, no time for formalities. We, Professor Grin says, dying. I need some parabioline. And uh, Dr. Bren says, he's dying. Well, take me with you. And he grabs some parabioline and rushes off. And at the hospital, Dr. Bren administers parabioline. I now, like I said, I'm not a medical doctor. Parabioline is also not a real drug. But I don't know why parabioline is the only thing that can help Dr. Professor Grinstead. Because I thought it was for anemia. Is it just like a wonder drug, like a cure-all drug? Because that seems cool. But um, I guess it, so parabioline cures him, you know, fixes his, whatever he did to himself. And, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, it's a miracle. He's alive. A miracle of his own making. He discovered this marvelous drug. Yeah. So Superman uh, rushes out of the hospital and says, one last task. Still have to make Carlin release his victims. And uh, back at uh, Carlin, at the laboratory, Carlin has gotten himself down from whatever animal mount he has on the, uh, he was on on the wall, which I wouldn't have pegged Professor Grinstead as a, you know, a big game hunter. But I mean, I guess you can, you know, have multiple interests. You can be a chemist and also love hunting. But he's got a lot of animal mounts on the wall. Uh, so Carlin is rushing out. He's going to rush back to probably his, you know, his headquarters. When uh, Superman's just kind of casually standing by the door and he's like, oh, leaving so soon? And uh, he grabs Carlin and does the classic thing that Superman does where he, like, does cool stunts in the air and scares the person he's holding on to. And then he brings him to the parole board, the state parole board, which I thought was weird. And says, this is the guy. He has something important to say to you. And uh, Carlin says, it's my fault Craig stole. I forced him to do it. He suffered from anemia, and I wouldn't let him have the new drug he needed unless he stole from me. So the parole board takes him into custody, and paroles Craig. And I was thinking for a second when I was reading this, well, why would they parole him? Like, has he gone through trial yet or anything like that? And is parole more of a, like, a statement of you're out, like you're fine, you know, you did a bad thing, but now you've served your debt to society? Because, like, let's not, let's not, you know, not to split hairs here, but Craig did still do the crime. It's a crime of coercion. He was coerced to do the crime, but he still did the crime. And I don't... I, I'm sure he would get leniency. Let's see. Uh, crime. Coerced into a crime. Coerced into a crime. Is... What is coercion law? Involves the use of threats. What happens if you are coerced into a crime? You can still be charged with a crime even if you claim that you were forced into committing it. People are sometimes threatened in order to do things that they normally never would have done, but that does not mean that someone can go free simply because they say that they had no choice but to go forward with it. So, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. He, he still did the crime. So, I guess he still serves 
he still has to go to cr prison. But I guess they'll, you know, say time served or something. And it'll still be on his record, but time served. I don't know. I don't know. But the newspaper headline of the Daily Planet says, Craig released Carlin sentenced. And um, that is the end. We see a, a scene with um, Lois Lane and Clark Kent in the, uh, Professor Grinstead's hospital room. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry I ever discovered the vicious drug. And they're like, well, it's only a vicious drug if it's in evil hands. In, in good hands, it'll be, you know, a godsend to the suffering everywhere. So, it's, I mean, it's true. As long as drugs are used properly, they can, they can be really, really useful. So, that is the end of that story, and that is also the end of Superman number five. So, let's move on to Flash Comics number seven. Uh, released May 16th, 1940, with a cover date of July 1940. No debuts in this issue either. Uh, we've got Flash, Hawkman, and we'll summarize what Johnny Thunder is up to. Uh, but first, let's start with The Flash, uh, written by Gardner F. Fox, drawn by Everett E. Hibbard. So, we start off this issue of The Flash with a man named uh, Smith being threatened by a man named Black Mike. Uh, he is a white guy, just, uh, it's, I guess, black in the sort of evil sense, which is a terrible term. Um, but... So he uh, wants his invention, but he also wants his daughter. But his daughter hates him. Um, uh, or, sorry, Smith's daughter hates Black Mike. I'm just going to call him Mike from now on. Uh, so Mike wants both Smith's inventions and his daughter for love, I guess. And he says, uh, you'll give me your inventions or else. And he punches him in the face. And Smith says, well, no, stop, stop. And that night, uh, Smith and his daughter attempt to escape. They leave in the middle of the night from their home to start a new life somewhere, presumably. But before they can, out from the bushes comes Mike, and he has a gun on them. And he says, not running away from me, were you? Come on, you're going, you're going with me. That's such a weird, that's such a weird sentence. Uh, we then cut to some time later. Uh, Jay Garrick is driving in a car. Uh, he's motoring, it says, through Minnesota. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, what a peaceful country. The land of a thousand lakes. So many lakes. When suddenly the car disappears out from under him. Everything that's, everything that's still around is not metal. His suitcase, his tires, the steering wheel. The steering wheel is made of wood. He's like, huh, it's weird. Uh, just then, a uh, farmer-looking man in a horse-drawn wagon, which are still around uh, in, in certain parts of the country due to prices of things in 1940. He asks this guy, well, hey, is, have you ever noticed any like metal disappearing? And yeah, he said, yeah, I've, I've seen some weird stuff going on. His cow will lose her bell, and the leather strap will just still be there. His, the, his entire rifle will just disappear, his lawnmower, with just the wooden handle remaining. And uh, Jay Garrick, who has turned into the Flash at this point, um, says, are any strangers moving recently? And the old man's like, yeah, this old guy and his daughter live in the, the place around the bend. So the Flash runs uh, to this place around the bend, and he runs past uh, Smith's daughter, whose name is Belle, B-E-L-L-E, -L -L -E, just like in The Beauty and the Beast. And she, of course, says, like, oh, what a wind, because Flash is moving so fast that he's invisible. He uh, watches Smith, uh, the inventor, kind of fiddling with some sort of ray. And 
he deduces that this is the ray that destroyed his automobile. And uh, Smith takes off a device uh, on it and says, okay, I gotta get to, I gotta fix this adjuster because uh, the range precision isn't what Smith wants. So he's working with the adjuster when the Flash invisibly steals it and Smith says, the adjuster, I, I must have it to make my invention work. And so Flash thinks, hmm, that's all I wanted to know. I'll take it along with me. So he then runs to FBI headquarters to get some information about this new weapon. And, of course, he does it all invisibly. He's running so fast that nobody can see him. He's rifling through all these papers. All the FBI agents and, and employees are all freaking out. And he gets this information on Henry Smith, inventor, Duluth, uh, discovered new type of paint gun that fuses with metal. Uh, I, I don't know, I don't know what's up with that part. Like, is this a different invention? Is this the same invention, but it's been tweaked? I don't know. But it's a device that destroys metal. So, the Flash then runs to see his old pal, pal Jimmy Dolan, the automobile racer. Um, he, he'll know the mechanics of this thing. So, he talks with Jimmy. First, he pulls a little prank on him by... I guess tickling him he like grabs him by the under the arms like by the armpits and kind of shakes him around the flash as we know his identity is sort of like should I should I keep it secret should I just be upfront about it because he's wearing his flash costume when talking to Jimmy and Jimmy makes no mention of it you know like oh yeah hey are you the flash what why are you wearing this weird costume but he doesn't say anything like that it's just he uh, So Jay asks Jimmy about this thing, and he says, well, I don't know what it is, but it's... And I don't know, he says, I don't know what it is. It's used to coordinate a complicated piece of machinery, though. So you do know what it is. You know it coordinates a complicated piece of machinery, so you have an idea of what it does. Okay. So <clears throat> he tells Jimmy that it's from a, a device that uh, dissolves metal in a puff of smoke, and... Jimmy says, wow, what a weapon, like what a war weapon that would be. Uh, and he says, oh, you know, as long as we're done talking about that, why don't you stay for the races tomorrow and I'll go back to Duluth with you afterward. Um, he wants to take a look at that machine. And Jay says, that's a good idea. I'll go out and get myself some street clothes. Because he left all of his street clothes at the place where his automobile disappeared. He just left everything he had. He left his suitcases and everything inside of them there. He's like, ah, I won't need these. Why would I ever need these again? These will be fine just sitting on the side of the road or actually in the middle of the road where my car disappeared. It just, that's silly. So the Flash then goes to a clothing store and because he doesn't, so now he's now he wants to keep his identity a secret. So he's like, okay, so I'll just be invisible. I'll move so fast. You know, a, whir a whirling dervish and nothing more, and so he grabs a, a tie, a suit, you know, a suit, and a shirt, and all this kind of stuff, and he gives money to the, to the guy, and the guy, of course, the entire time is like, ah, 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 ah. Uh, then, the Flash, again, wanting to keep his identity secret, uh, suddenly, he's like, okay, I'm gonna run, steal a room key, go into this room, change out of my clothes, my Flash costume, leave my Flash costume there, go down, and then rent that same room I was just in. And he does that. In the same hotel, but in a different section, uh, Mike is there. He's putting money on Speedboy Dicks in the, in, the, uh, in the race. He puts 10 grand 
on Speedboy Dicks, D-I-K, I mean, D-I-K, D-I-X. And then he goes into the next room and is asking uh, Smith about uh, the stolen adjuster. And Smith says, uh, it was stolen, like, I swear. And I was working on the machine when I put it aside and it disappeared. So um, we then cut back to Jay and he's in the lobby of the hotel and he sees Belle, the girl that he ran past at uh, that house that he found the machine in. So he decides to follow her. Uh, so he runs up, you know, following the elevator that she's riding up to the very top floor. And as she opens the door, or as Mike opens the door for her into the hotel room, the flash runs in unseen. He moves, you know, vibrates so fast that he can't be seen to eavesdrop on the conversation. And, you know, Mike says, get the adjuster done. Like, get a new one done before tomorrow. If you don't, it'll be too bad for Bell. So, Bell, something bad's going to happen to Bell. Um, so, so that's, you know, suspicious. As Mike is, as Mike leaves, uh, the Flash, or Jay, because he's not wearing his Flash costume, Jay stops moving so fast so he can be seen. And he explains that he's the one who took the adjuster for the invention. And that... In, in the hands of a man like the one who's just in here, it's a bad, like a terrible thing. And Smith's like, yeah, I I hate that dude. Um, he sucks. And Jay's like, what about you? Do you want uh, this weapon to be used by Mike? And Bell says, no, but I don't want my father harmed. It's like, that's, that's fair. And Jay says, leave it to me. Tomorrow night, you'll both be safe. And they're like, oh, thank you so much. Then... Mike returns, and he's like, hey, I heard somebody talking in here. And they're like, well, do you see anybody, idiot? He says, I, and then, sorry. Jay then, moving invisibly, says, I don't like you, Mike. You're going to get what you're not looking for. It's like, okay. And and then, so then Jay just, like, runs around kind of taunting him. Um, so, you know, classic, classic flash prank. And then, uh... Jay returns to his room and talks with uh, Jimmy. And Jimmy needs someone to be in his pit crew tomorrow because one of his guys is out or whatever. And Jay says, yeah, of course. And uh, the next day at the Speedway, uh, Jay is on tire changing duty. And Jimmy says, there may be some dirty work in this race. Uh, It has a big purse on it to win. And this is the point where I, uh, you, you notice, or like for whatever reason, Jimmy Dolan is driving his car and he's the only person in it. And every single other car has two people in it. It has a driver and a person next to it. Why you would need that for a speedway race? Like I understand it for, you know, cross country races or, you know, like the things with like off-roading races where one's a navigator and one is driver. But this is like a speedway. This is a, an oval. So I don't know why you need two people in the car. Um, so uh, we then cut back to the hotel room that Mike has. Uh, and he can see the speedway from the window. And so he's going to dissolve any car that gets in front of the one that he wants to win. Now, if by the end of the race, if his car is the only one left, does that sort of make the race uh, suspicious and also... Be like, well, I don't think we can... Everybody else's cars disappeared into thin air. I just don't think that we can 
give you the money for winning because you're the only car left. So, but I mean, I guess if a car, if every car gets into an accident and there's only one left, do races continue? I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not well versed in in car racing. I find NASCAR to be quite boring, to be honest. They're just driving in a circle. So Mike informs Smith that you know he's going to tell you what car to to shoot at, and uh, you better do it or else. We then cut down to the speedway, uh, where Throttle Tucker takes the lead. Uh, while a tire blowout forces Jimmy to have to take a pit stop. So he goes to the pit stop. And, of course, the Flash changes his tire in a fraction of a second. And everyone's like, wow. And his, his entire pit crew's like, well, what are we even doing here? Like, why are we even here? That one guy can do everything. While this is happening, Jimmy points out to Jay. He says, look, and the number six car dissolved. I don't know if that was Throttle Tucker, if that was his. Let's go back a page. Uh, yes, yes, number six was Throttle Tucker, so he was in the lead, and his car, which it's, there's two people in it, for whatever reason, it dissolves, his entire car dissolves, and the race continues, the race keeps going on, if I was running this race, I'd be like, no, wait a second, that's not normal, uh, so Jade, you know, you know, rushes into action, he goes, he runs back to the hotel where Mike is, and he dismantles the machine in front of Smith and Mike's eyes. Mike yells at Smith like, hey, you broke it. And Smith's like, no, 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 I, I, it fell apart. And then Jay says, just a moment. And Mike's like, that voice again. And uh, Jay spins him around up in the air and opens up a window and throws him out the window. And, he, and Jay says to Smith, he says, I'll be back. I must catch him, which fair. And he does. He runs all the way down to the ground and catches Mike before he hits the ground so saving his life he then ties Mike's hands to his feet and says I'll be right back I just gotta you know finish the race so then we're back at the speedway where the flash sees some dirty work between drivers so the passenger in one of the cars uh, is is holding a wrench and is going to hit Jimmy with the wrench now is that allowed? Are there no rules just right Outback Steakhouse in this race? Because that seems like you can't bodily harm other racers. This isn't death race, all right? You can't you can't hurt other drivers in order to win. Like people are watching you do this. The like an announcer, the fans, like people are watching you do this. You can't do this. But Jay stops him from hitting Jimmy in the head and and takes him to the police for, I mean, attempted murder, attempted battery, uh, something. And the police say, you'll go behind bars for this. So he does. this guy does get what he deserves, even though he didn't actually do anything. He almost did. Uh, and so then the Flash gets Mike and hands him over to the FBI. And also he introduces Smith to... Uh, the FBI, who buy his weapon, and Smith then can then retire for the rest of his life. He is an old man, so who knows how long that will be. And uh, that is the end. That is the end of that story. It's fine. Uh, the racing part confuses me. Why there are two? Why is there two people in a car? Why does Jimmy only have one person? Why are you allowed to hit people? Or why are you even attempting to hit people? I don't know. 
But uh, let's move on to Hawkman, uh, which was written by Gardner F. Fox and drawn by Sheldon Moldoff as per usual. This Hawkman story starts off with uh, we, we come in meteor res uh, to the Hawkman watching a strange figure walking into a hidden cave. He's like, well, that's weird. You, normal people don't do that. And uh, he goes to the opening of the cave and sort of looks in on this person. And he's just he's just carving a statue. Uh, and Hawkman comments, hmm, it's weird that he's carving a statue one piece at a time. Like he's carving the, the ears separately and then the skull and all this kind of stuff. Uh, it's a weird way to do a statue, but nothing wrong with the... Nothing wrong with carving statues in caves. It's fine. So, Hawkman leaves. The uh, artist uh, finishes carving everything and puts it uh, together, assembles it into the form of man. Uh, Rise the demon Etrigan. Uh, No. Uh, And then weeks later, injects it with uh, a needle. We learn that the artist is Boris Nikolov. artist madman one of the two and he injects it with um adrenaline and the material he made this out of is a one of his own proprietary manufacturer called plasma clay plasma clay p-l-a-s-m dash clay plasma plasma clay and slowly the creature turns from yellow to a, a ghastly white and starts walking off the pedestal. Uh, Nikolov uh, explains to the creature that its name is Tsar, uh, which is Russian for Caesar uh, or king, and that he is his creator, and he's made minutely perfect so that no one can ever kill you except to stop your breathing. Bullets, knives have no effect. And so he sends him off to do uh, terrible work. The next day, Carter Hall is reading a newspaper, and he reads about... An unkillable man, but bullets fired by the guards at the, at the thief bounced off, found flattened by impact with hard object, knife blade bent when it struck, stole 50,000, which is not a, it's not how you form sentences, newspaper. Uh, so Carter's like, hmm, this strange man must be stopped. Um, no more must Carter Hall be seen, but instead the Hawkman must live. Then, um, then... Hawkman's like, okay, I need a weapon. I could be dealing with a vampire. You know what I need? Silver bullet. Silver bullets don't work on vampires. That's werewolves. Silly. This is the second time DC Comics has been like, silver bullets are for vampires. They did it They did it previously in uh, Detective Comics. It's not. It's wooden stakes. That's vampires. Silver bullets, werewolves. We cut to a uh, bank... And uh, some guards hear some screaming, and out from a darkened doorway comes Czar. They shoot bullets at him, and uh, they, you know, just ding right off of him. And um, uh, the police are called, and they show up, and Hawkman, you know, hears about the robbery in progress and flies over there, flies down the empty elevator shaft into the museum, or the bank, I almost said museum, bank, and now Hawkman's whole shtick is like using weapons of the past to fight the crimes of the present. But in this one, he just pulls out a gun and he just uh, like shoots Czar. But of course, just ba-ding, off of him. Uh, so silver bullet useless against both vampires and Czar. 
And then uh, Zar and Hawkman get into a sort of tussle. And uh, while tussling, Hawkman realizes that this dude feels like marble. And he's like, marble? Statue? The cave! Uh, so obviously that you know cave left an impression on him. And it could be a long shot. It could be, you know, people can carve statues wherever they want. It doesn't have to be in creepy caves. So Hawkman says, all right, well, I can't do anything to this dude, so I have to go. And he flees, not because he's scared, but because he's going to go to the cave. So he goes to the cave and is examining around and finds footsteps. So he's like, hmm, it's got to be the statue. There is no other thing on earth that makes footprints. Hmm, yep, gotta be the statue, gotta be the statue, yep, yep. So all night, Hawkman looks for the statue again, can't find him. Uh, but then the following night, Czar makes another robbery of a bank, and him and Boris Nikolov are driving off. Uh, but luckily, the Hawkman has gotten onto their trail and follows them to a very nice big house, Um and so uh, Nikolov is talking to Tsar, and he says, that makes the third straight haul. We have enough money to sail for South America. And uh, and Tsar, I, I haven't been saying what Tsar has said. I actually think it would be better if Tsar was mute, but instead he says, like, me glad, you glad, master. Like, come on. Like, just make him make him mute. He's a statue. Why does, did, did Boris Nikolov also carve vocal folds in his neck? So that he can make sound? I don't think so. So just make him mute. I think it'd be so much like better. Um, so they're gonna sail tomorrow for South America. Um, but <laughs> and but Boris is like, so be careful. You don't let anyone know that you can breathe, or it will be just too bad. And then Zara's like, oh, me be good, master. Me go for a walk now. It's like, all right, dude, go for a walk. So. I'm just so confused about what plasm clay does. It like gives him feelings and wants and wishes. Cause like, it's like, why would he go for a walk? It's weird. So Hawkman has been overhearing all of this. And so he's like, Hmm, you can breathe. eh?" Well then, you know what? I need a special weapon to stop that. Meanwhile, Shiera, which we haven't seen in a few episodes. Welcome back. Shiera. Uh, she's like, I haven't seen Hawkman in a while. I better go over to his house and see like, what's up. So she's like, I'll cut through the park. It'll be quicker that way. And it'll be nice, nice, nice for a walk. Uh, and from behind a tree, Zar grabs her. Why he'd be like, I should grab this woman. I don't know. I don't understand Zar's motivations. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, meanwhile, Boris Nikolov is writing in his diary and thinking, I shall make many Zars and rule the world with unkillable men. I thought you wanted to go to South America. What, suddenly you want to take over the world? I thought you were just robbing banks. Lame. Hawkman returns home to grab some bolas, uh, B-O-L-A-S, uh, a weapon, he says, a weapon used by Indians of South and Western America, also by the gauchos of Argentina, a good weapon to use on the statue man. So he's going to, like, choke him out. I think I actually think a garrote would be a better weapon to choke someone out, but I think maybe that one's a little bit too violent for Hawkman. Uh, so, meanwhile, yeah, Czar has knocked out Chiara and is carrying her. He's like, me take her to master. Why? Why would your master want a knocked out woman? And I mean, I guess maybe that lands to be like, he's just a dumb statue. He doesn't know anything. But then why would he think I need to knock out this woman and take him back to master, her back to master? <sighs> so Hawkman returns to Boris Nikolov's 
house where he attacks Nikolov, Nikolov and is where is like, now where is that statue you created? I'm going to stop its foul ravenings. Uh, when Tsar returns and sees this, he uh, gets angry and he says, me kill. Uh, so he, uh, Hawkman and him tussle a little bit. Hawkman gets some distance and throws the bolas and uh, attempting to you know, get them around his neck and choke him out. Uh, but Nikolov gets in front and he is hit by the bolas and they, you know, get around his neck and cut off his air and he suffocates. This uh, suddenly makes the Tsar very scared uh, and so he runs out of the house. Hawkman checks on Shiera, uh, Shiara, Shiera, and uh, you know makes sure that she's all right, and then says, "Well, now I've got to go, you know, finish this up." And so he grabs the bolus and rushes after Czar. And when he gets in within distance of him, he throws it, getting them around his neck and choking him to death. Uh, later, uh, as Carter Hall, he makes a call to the Morning Globe. And says the unkillable man is dead. You'll find him in the park at the north end of the lake. Thank the Hawkman if you want. And the next day we see unkillable man dead. And the board of directors of the banks that were robbed uh, vote to thank the Hawkman. And so they do. And that is the end of the Hawkman story. Um, my complaints are known about Czar. I think he shouldn't talk. His motivations are weird. Why does he want to go for a walk? Why does he want to steer, steal women from the park? Um, but other than that, I think it's a fine, fine Hawkman story. He's got to be a little bit smart. He's got to use weapons of the past. He does use a gun, which is weird. Uh, but I think overall a pretty good Hawkman story. Now let's talk about the Johnny Thunder story just quickly. Um, Johnny protects a girl on the street from four, uh, men who are chasing her. After she gets away, the men reveal that they are government agents. And the girl is a spy known as La Belle Tarte. Uh, Johnny is fired from his job as a G-man that he previously had uh, for letting this spy escape. Uh, Johnny returns home and asks his mother to sew a costume for him. Donning the outfit and a mask, Johnny becomes a superhero aided by the power of his thunderbolt. Johnny tracks down the spy and turns her over to authorities. Johnny then tries to impress Daisy with his powers, but the effects of the thunderbolt have worn off. Now, I know what I said, that he's not actually a superhero, but... He's not actually a superhero. He's just dressed up as a superhero. He, and this is this is a one-off. Like for in the future, Johnny doesn't wear a costume really, uh, as far as I know. And maybe he does eventually. Uh, I'm I'm learning about Golden Age Johnny Thunder just like you all are. But I just still, still think it's more worth our time to just summarize him and, and focus more on the actual superheroes than to spend a lot of time on Johnny Thunder. Um, and I forgot to mention that Johnny Thunder story was written by John B. Wentworth and drawn by Stan Ashmeyer as usual. So, uh, that's going to do it for this episode. I thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed. Hope you learned a little bit of something. It was a pretty good episode. Um, some, some good Superman action in there. Some good Flash and Hawkman action. Uh, but as usual, uh, hit us up on our socials. We're on Instagram, Twitter and threads uh, gonna be gonna be trying to do a lot more with that um, be sure to rate and review the podcast on iTunes and Spotify and wherever you want to rate and review the podcast because uh, it helps it helps get the show out there to other people so we can all go on this journey together uh, and I always like to see the numbers go up you know numbers go up make make caveman feel good 
Uh, we are going to have an episode next week on Christmas Day. It's going to be shorter, but it's going to be a momentous episode. A certain emerald light source guy is uh, going to be making his debut, so be uh, be looking for that on Christmas Day. Um, um, yeah, until next time, I'll see you all on Friday for Issue by Issue Crisis. I am your host, Nick Byers, and uh, I will see you around. Thank you.